welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in it, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, it's a short one, but it's a doozy. It's Craig Finn of Craig Finn solo fame, also of the Hold Steady, obviously, also of uh, Lifter Puller, also of No Pun Intended, and, and more. We will get to some of that in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to DamienAbraham.com. There is an email address there. You can also find me on various forms of social media, at Left for Damien. If you'd like to get in touch with me in the immediate, you can head over to Facebook.com. There's a Facebook page run by my brother, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the messages to me. Rest assured, we've just done some some major record trading, so the lines of communi- communication between us, as I'm failing to communicate that to you, remain strong. So, you know, you can hit him up at Facebook.com. If you don't use Facebook, you want to see some of the cool stuff that gets sent into the show that we post over on Facebook.com, you can go over to Tumblr.com, and there's a turnoutapunk.tumblr.com page for your perusing enjoyment. If you'd like to support the show, the best way to do that is by heading over to iTunes and uh, subscribing to this podcast if you use iTunes and rating it and writing a review for it. If you do not use iTunes and you want to support the show, you can do so by telling all your friends about it. But over there on the iTunes page and other places that you find this podcast, you will see that there are some other podcasts in the Turned Out of Punk family. There's Clobbering Time, which hasn't been done in a while. That's the wrestling podcast done by Tom Bryan and myself. There's Oil and Flowers, which is Buddha Blaze and my uh, well, weed podcast. We talk about cannabis. And then, of course, there is the old venerable Stalwart. Stalwart. There is Turned Out of Punk Footnotes, which is hosted by myself and Chris O'Toole. And each week we get into the uh, nerdy minutia of, of of the Turn of Punk episode. And we will have a lot to get into after this episode. Even though it's a short episode, believe me, it is dense. It is dense with stuff that Chris and I need to dissect. Uh, and also, if you would like to see my band play, you can find us over at fuckedup.cc. We're going on a West Coast tour coming up you can get tickets for those shows some are selling out some are still available i hope to see you there i will be doing that there might be some surprise stuff involving podcasts along the way too who knows it's coming up very quickly but but (laughs) there's i'm still working on some stuff for it don't worry so yeah so if you want to see fucked up fucked up dot cc it's i'm exhausted i'm gonna be honest with you right now off the top uh, before we get into the episode I'm kind of in the uh, midst of a, a big change in in my uh, kind of uh, life and, and busyness levels. So I want you to know, though, that I'm going to remain committed to doing Turned Out of Punk and Turned Out of Punk Footnotes and all the other podcasts. But the schedule might be a little, you know, fucked up, let's be honest, because I'm going to be traveling a lot. I don't know how much access I'm going to have to... Yeah, things that I need to kind of put this podcast together. So w- with that being said, please bear with me, you know, and and you are right now, like you're bearing with me with today's episode, because I know this is a little bit late if you're listening to this when it came out, and I apologize for that. But things are a little, you know, heating up. I'm going to tell you all the information once I can, but uh, for now, just know that things are kind of busy. And if you come and see me at those fucked up shows on the West Coast, I'll tell you. 
How's that for a hook? Anyway, on to today's show. Today on the show, I have my buddy, Craig Finn. Now, Craig Finn is someone who is very famous for being in the band Hold Steady and also, you know, all sorts of other stuff he, he's done. He's, you know, recently was on Late Night with Seth, Seth Meyers, you know. He's, he's someone who has been around in the music industry and the music biz and, and, and made a lot of incredible music and a lot of great music. That we will not talk about on this show because today on this show we are talking about Craig's early punk involvement. And Craig is someone who is a deep head. Anyone who's a whole steady fan knows this. He's dropped references to some youth crew bands and he's he's, you know, in interviews talked about it, but not in the turned out of punk way until now. So I'm not gonna ramble on anymore. I want you to sit back. Relax and get ready to hear Craig Finn talk about, you know, Blind Approach and Cro-Mags and other such wonderfulness. So everyone, sit back, relax, and enjoy Craig Finn on Turned Out a Punk. Uh, is it? <laughs> oh my God, Craig, you are in, you are in, yeah. now that I finally have you, get yeah. ready for punishment. Yeah, yeah. You, as I was just telling you off air... Not only do we have this whole, you know, Midwest hardcore thing to talk about, we also have the fact that you are on not one, but two of my most favorite labels to talk about, Skeen Records yep. and Amphetamine Reptile. Wow. Yeah. Those are, uh, I, I guess I am, I, I forget that I'm on, I have an AMREP release. You, you are of a scale. Yeah. You have a scale. Yeah, I have a scale. Lifter Puller's uh, one-sided seven inch. Yeah. Uh, which was uh, uh, sort of a leftover track. We didn't have a B-side. We'd already broken up, but um, Hayes, Hayes was like a really, uh, and I thought at the time I was surprised, but I, as I got to know him better, I realized it wasn't surprising that he was really into lifter puller mm-hmm. um, because you know like that stuff, the AMREP stuff, the traditional AMREP stuff seemed harder than uh, than we were. Um, but then I realized he liked a lot of kind of art rock. Oh yeah, there's like Supernovas on there too. Yeah. It's, a, it's a much yeah. more diverse label than yeah. I think. I uh, even I tend to give him credit for. Yeah. But I've already fucked it up, Craig, because I didn't start this the way I want to start them all <laughs> off, which is Craig. How did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Yeah. Um, well, I think it, I, I got it. It was kind of I got into music, but um. So remember in like uh, the late seventies and the eighties, they had these like KTL Chartbuster seventy eight, mm-hmm. where you'd get like the thing, and it would have like all the singles from that year. Well, there was one called Rock eighty that was uh, after seventy nine or eighty. And uh, my friend's older brother got it. I didn't have any. I, I just had a younger sister, so I didn't have like someone who was giving me stuff. So yeah. I, I felt like I was at a little disadvantage. But my friend's older brother got this Rock ADLP, and it was a kind of a collection of new wave hits from the year before. And it had it, the Ramones Rock and Roll Radio. Mm. It had uh, a Blondie song, one way or another. It had Is She Really Going Out with Him. It had Cars by Gary Newman. You know, a sniff in the tears. Uh, driver's seat is that song. Uh, a lot of new wavy stuff. Um, so you can also kind of say that 1980 might have been the best year for mainstream music with the list that you're giving me. <laughs> yeah, I mean that wasn't those weren't like number one hits, no, but, but still it was like big enough. Pretty good. Know? Yeah, yeah, I was going good. So through that, I got into the Ramones, and I was already buying records, but I was like buying some really awful stuff like Sticks, mm-hmm. and uh, so then I started buying Ramones records, and um, it was. Um, you know, and then as I started, but then I was like into Sticks and the Ramones. Those were like two bands I liked, you know, <laughs> and it just doesn't make sense now. But eventually, I sort of got into the um, 
I think at the time it makes a lot more sense, right? Yeah, it's not was, as codified. You're, yeah. you're a younger kid trying to figure it all out. Yeah, I was just trying to figure it all out. I liked them both, you know? And I liked Queen a lot. Um, that was the the other band. So, and that's I still think is really cool. But, uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, And then what happened was, in, and this is like, this sounds really bougie, but I was playing tennis um, with a kid who I knew, and he had like an older sister that uh, was pretty hip, and he he asked me what my favorite band was, and I said the Ramones. And he said, oh, well, if you like the Ramones, um, you should check out, my sister knows these guys, they have a band called The Replacements, and they have an album out, they have albums out. So I was like, if I knew someone who knew someone who had an album, that seemed like <laughs> amazing. So I went out to the record store, and I got Hootenanny, which was the most recent release at the time. And I listened to that, and I was like, this is my favorite band. I re really connected with it. And so I started buying, like, you know, the, I bought the other Replacements records, and then a few months later, Let It Be came out. And so I had all the, you know, Sorry Ma and Stink, and yeah, I was just following these leads, following any bit of information I could get. And, um, you know, I, I also think that the other thing, like, I knew I was onto something there because back then, sort of pre-Cobain, you had to go to an independent record store to buy an independent record. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, I'd have to go into the city. I lived in the suburbs and, and go in and go to this record store or Folk Jokopus to uh, to get, you know, a replacement. What was it called? Or fo well, or Folk, it was called. Or Folk, okay. it's or Folk joke opus. Okay. Uh, and it was like, it's now Treehouse Records on 26 in Lindo. Oh, like Treehouse, the label Treehouse Records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah, Is yeah. it the same people that ran it? Like the same yeah. bastards people and stuff? Yeah, well, it was, Mark Treehouse was, um, I think, the manager of Orfolk, and then the owner okay. sold it to him, and oh. they changed the name. But it was kind of, it's where the replacements, mm -hmm. uh, you know, dropped off the demo tape to Peter Jespers, and it's like the legendary record store in Minneapolis. It's it's the best store. It's, yeah. it's great. It's well, I've still, definitely heard of Treehouse, but yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, really good. Um, were the replacements po sorry not okay, but were the replacements popular amongst other people like you know there being a band from the area that's kind of getting a buzz at that time they were I mean I was still a little ways from seeing them live but you know I mean like they were big enough that like you know I could pick up the city pages the free weekly and there'd be stuff on them yeah. you know so it felt like the city was rooting for them they were certainly um, the band you know and like even you'd see in Rolling Stone their review of Let It Be I think you know so you, they were making I was aware they were making some national headway. Mm -hmm. But the thing was, around this time, punk was happening in my junior high school. <laughs> and even though I knew like, and loved The Replacement Stink, that was my favorite record, I imagined things like Black Flag and The Misfits or whatever to be way harder than that and maybe <laughs> yeah. like something I couldn't handle. <laughs> uh, so I'm sitting in this math class and, you know, I, you, you, you write the names of the bands you like on your folder and, and I had written the replacements. And this kind of punk guy was like, hey, whoa, hey, you, you like the replacements? And I was like, um, yeah. And he's like, do you like Black Flag? And I said, no, I think that's too hard for me. He goes... <laughs> do you like the replacements album stink? And I said, yes. He's like, well, then it's not too hard. Like you, you can handle this. <laughs> can handle and then he made me a tape. <laughs> then he made me a tape and it had like, you know, stuff like, and then, um, and then I just was, just, then it just became hardcore mania, you know, yeah. like yeah. I loved it. And, uh, you know, I would get the, I started getting the SST records and I started, and then like pretty quick. Then the other thing was who's do was there. Mm -hmm. And, um, they were like they were probably one step more towards hardcore, especially because they were on SST, and you'd get the catalog, and then you'd be like, "Oh, I gotta get the Meat Puppets, I gotta get Black Flag, yeah. I gotta." Yeah. And they had those SST blasting concept records, which were really cheap. Which was, you know, I was pretty, I was 
in eighth grade, I was it's working got a bright on, lime green cover too. How do you not buy it? I was working on a budget, so <laughs> yeah, like exactly. you know, you could kind of see that. And um, and then yeah, and then around eighth grade, I went to a show at First Avenue. My first show wasn't that punk; it was the Violent Femmes. But that's punk to me. Yeah, it's kind of punk. I, I it was kind of punk. It was right when they put out their second album, so it was it was cool. And then right after that, I saw an all ages show at the Seventh Street Entry with the Replacements. Oh wow! Uh, which was when Tim album released show. Um, so that was eighty five. So they and, must have been. Were they popular at that point? Like that yeah, kind of they the did. Peak, I guess they did five nights at the entry. Wow. So it was <laughs> like, I mean, that's two, two to three hundred people. But yeah. you know, yeah, they did. They were. I mean, you know, that was the album they played Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. on. So they were. They were becoming critical darlings at that time. But I remember going to that show, and, and once I went to those two shows, um, First Avenue. Did, did a great job. They would have the four o'clock all ages show and then the nine o'clock ID show or drunk show, they <laughs> yeah. call it. And a lot of bands would do it. I don't, I, you know, now that I know the business a little more, I'm like, what could have been the upside for them? Like, you know, <laughs> like, like, like to get a bunch of like 16 year olds in there drinking like 50 cent sodas, you know, I mean, like, like, like paying $5. It just couldn't, I don't know. I, I honestly think they're either doing it because they're good people. Yeah. Or, they're, you know, just the first hits free, you know? Like, <laughs> get uh, them in young. Yeah, get them in young. But once I started to, do, to go to a few shows, I was like, I'm going to every show. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what I like. I like going in there. I like smelling the clove cigarettes. <laughs> so that was like a big thing when you went to shows back then. You'd always smell clove <laughs> cigarettes. And and I just started to just see shows. And so, um, and, and I was into punk and hardcore, but also like, Indie rock too, mm-hmm. you know things like um, Dinosaur Junior were appealing, but so was Black Flag, and then um, you know in the oh, I should back up. There's one other good part of the story um, that I've skipped over. In seventh grade, I got an electric guitar, okay. um, and I, I, I thought I, I played a little acoustic guitar, but to me, like electric guitar versus acoustic guitar was the difference between violin and trombone, <laughs> you know. So I said I need to get electric guitar lessons. So we went to this place in South Minneapolis called Newt Coupe's guitar store. And my mom said, you know, does he have someone who can teach him? And they said, yes, we signed him up. So I go to my lesson and my teacher is this guy, Chris Osgood, who was the um, lead guitar and singer of the Suicide Commandos. Oh, shit. Yeah. And uh, well, yeah, who also taught, I think um, he taught guitar uh, for um, uh, Bob Mould and Dave, Dave Perner from Solo Sound. Um, so right. great lineage that you're tapping into. Yeah. Right so, <laughs> so, uh, and Chris was an amazing teacher and also was very much like, he was like, oh yeah, you know, you got to check out this, you got to, um, and, but also like he, he was really into like, you know, like he, he was thought black flag was cool, but then, but also you got to check out these early ZZ top records cause they're great too, you know? Yeah. So, uh, he was kind of a, a really excitable guy who, um. And, and also, I think that the Suicide Commandos Make a Record is one of my favorite records of all time. I think a great punk record. It's kind of like that early, like, punk meets bar band. Like, mm-hmm. I think they'd do, like, three sets a night and do covers, but then it would be, like, badass, you yeah. know? Because uh, you couldn't play, like, a punk circuit back then. You had to be a real band. Right, yeah. You had to, like, be... You could be fast or yeah. whatever, but you still had to entertain all night. You probably had to go Thursday, Friday, Saturday, mm-hmm. and... Vary it and maybe have some numbers you could dance to. They have like three singles, is it, or four? Or I remember the first two are killer. Yeah. Uh, well, there's. I don't. I don't know that I have this. The singles are hard to find, aren't they? I, I, I like years ago in my 
I got a student loan. I'm going to be in debt forever phase. I yeah. bought a lot of records. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> so, but yeah, do you have Maker Record? Do you have that one? Uh, the LP, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah incredible. And the, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, it's uh, attacking the beat off that one. Were they, uh, I'm sorry, not to cut you off again, but like, what was, were they weren't playing around by the time no. you're going to show. So what were, what were the bands that locally, like obviously, replacements are huge. Yeah, Husker Du, obviously. Husker Du's huge. But the other one that was bubbling under, or like right below that was Soul Asylum, yeah. which people, some, you know, they had this whole other career with Runaway Train and all that. But when they were on, when they were at their peak, they were the, the best band. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were live. They were just insanely good. Mm-hmm. And, um. I I had like another I knew Dave Printer's little brother Paul so like I had like a little connection and we would go see that I would go see like they would play and they were you know they were like more like connected to Husker Du yeah. than than alt rock you know like um and Bob Mould produced their first or second record um was Final Conflict still playing or they broke up along Final Conflict was just over when I started uh going to shows but you know the band that was playing a lot of the um punkier shows was Outcry who okay. was on a positive force yeah. um the peace symbol uh, yeah yeah <laughs> and uh they were uh they were happening and they were like they, they lived near me so like there was some connection and then um yeah so I'm going to all these shows and then it's funny I think the band <laughs> Then, then what, you know, I was going to pretty much everything I could if I was, you know, um, starting in about 86. Um, and, but then what happened in 87? Well, 87, I probably saw, uh, for the first time, there's a local band. They're from St. Paul, which in the Twin Cities is, is, you know, especially back then, I think there's a little, a little rivalry or they're a little, uh, a little, uh, exotic. So Blind Approach, um started uh opening shows and um the first time i saw them they were like uh well they were really good but they were kind of like more like gbh like <laughs> they had like the hair and stuff you know uh because beetle boys is that another band yeah well that yeah i mean Man- they were from mankato which and they was, had more sp- kind of like charge I thought they were kind of like snfu okay yeah. like if 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 we're trying to like Zany-ish, assign them yeah they were on the zany yeah, side okay. yeah and they were friends of mine too and like i would go see them and they were ve- they got very popular but they were like more on the like, like I'm a goofy kid, uh, flop, floppy kids, you know, like where you had sort of floppy hair, floppy clothes, and you jumped around a lot, you know. I think they had like one of those pogo balls. They jump, you know. So it was like more like good, clean, fun kind of. Yeah, yeah. I will tell you, uh, on the Libido Boys tip, um, I saw one of the most insanely gross things at their show one time it was it was like you know 95 degrees outside so in the entry it's packed and it's like 110 degrees and billy the singer um threw powdered milk on the crowd and it was like everyone was and you know people took off their shirts then and like it was sweaty and like all of a sudden there was milk kind of all over it was really disgusting it was uh that that was that was a travesty but yeah um, Back to blind approach, the less zany side of the less zany side. Well, what happened was that they were kind of a GBH thing, mm-hmm. and they were uh, and, and their lead singer Chip was a is is a good friend and a very personable guy. So I think he was good at like getting them shows okay. and whatnot. They started playing a lot, and they were just they were pretty much my age, maybe a year or two older. And um, but but in '87, um, over the summer, there was a big show. GBH with the Cro-Mags opening. Oh, my God. And they came through, and, like, everyone was talking GBH. I mean, GBH, I, I feel like, in my mind, GBH has 
history has not served them well because, I mean, I think that when I was in 1987, I thought that that was like the pinnacle of Hark. You know, I mean, I still, have you ever come across them since? Um, as people at shows or festivals? No. Nicest really? people and still like cool. Like when you're talking about how they're talking to people, I'm like, yeah. they still talk to people. Yeah, I mean, they were, GBH was, was, I mean, and I still like their music. Yeah. And I, but it, like, they were, if I was making a list of hardcore in 1987, yeah. they would be like, they would be the Beatles. You mm-hmm. know, like, mm-hmm. like that's that's all the way up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the Chromax played. And the Chromax, like, <laughs> Age of Coral was just like a, a, like, like a bomb dropping, you know? And uh, I'd never, I never, I don't think we'd considered like, I mean, there's Agnostic Front already, but like, I just hadn't seen like East Coast Heart. We hadn't seen, you know? Yeah. And so Blind Approach, the next time I saw him, <laughs> all had shaved heads. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and they started playing all these shows. And, and like, I was going to every show. And uh, I really liked that band. Like, they were, they were a band that I felt, they, they were really good, for one. I mean, Matt Henderson, the, the guitar player who went on to play an agnostic front in Madball, was a very skilled musician, is mm-hmm. a very skilled musician, and kind of had whipped him into shape. You know what I mean? Like, is <laughs> is sort of how I'd say. And and the singer was great and in a very like outgoing and 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 uh, cool, fun. But it was it was hard. It was you know it was still it was supposed to be hard. Yeah. And I liked that about it. There was something about I don't know. Like, I mean, one of the things I love about hardcore is. Uh, it's kind of for kids by kids, you know? And uh, um, I, I, I think back, because now I'm 45, and I think back, like, you know, would any people be concerned that Blind Approach could assemble, like, 300 kids? <laughs> you know? Like, like there's, there's a certain power in there, yeah. you know? And Chip was, uh, the singer was very, um, very charismatic, and, um, and, and the band was great. And so... That was a big band, and they put out two seven inches, which I know you know. I think they're two of the greatest. I think so. they're unbelievable, and that's another. You know, talk about a band that has not been served well by history. Like they've been kind of forgotten. They're the best New York hardcore band, not from New York. <laughs> yeah, ever. yeah, yeah. I mean, they were. I would put that, those two seven inches against anything in the genre. I think they're. I, I really do think they're like 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 when I first heard them, I was at Martine from Crudos's house buying records. He's <laughs> yeah. like, "You ever heard these?" And I'm yeah. like, "No." And he put them on. I'm just like, "How have I not?" Heard this, yeah, yeah. and yeah, and, it, and that was like that was eighty seven, and then eighty eight came, and then I think like Youth of Today came through in eighty eight. But you were already playing by this point. Yeah, well, we I can't gloss over. Your, oh yeah, yeah, we can't gloss over the seven inch, Craig. Yeah, so no pun intended. My band played, uh, was playing. Now we. Wait, so how did like um, when you started playing guitar? Right, mm-hmm. you said you made that shift from electric. Yeah. Were you raised in a house with music? Was music around? Like, you're playing acoustic guitar really young. Uh, yeah, I mean, because I wanted to. I, I liked music. No, my parents had a tiny record collection, They, they but they were very like, oh, if you want to do music, that's a great thing to yeah. do. But, like, there wasn't like, oh, you got to hear, like, there weren't even Beatles records around. There's, like, a Paul <laughs> Simon record, some Billy Joel, you know, uh, um, stuff I still kind of like, but, uh, but so, you know, um, so I started playing with No Pun Intended, which was my band. I went to a new school in ninth grade, a private school, and I met these guys that wanted to start a band. And we started a band, but it was mainly covers, um, R.E.M., U2, that kind of stuff. It was like kind of a preppy high school. So like, and, and I wasn't the singer. I was the, guitar I was the player. guitar player, one of the guitar, two guitar players. Uh, but we, you know, we did school dances and things, but then... Around my junior year, I was like, um, 
and started writing songs. But we were kind of like more REM cure. We were not, even though I was into hardcore, the other guys weren't necessarily into it. So it was this other thing. But I did know enough from going to um, like the shows at the entry. I started like bugging First Avenue to get us. And we did, uh, we played with like, um, we played some all ages shows. Well, we would play with the Libido Boys. Okay. Um, they, you know, we could, we they could kind of handle us like, uh, all I think we played a show with all. That's what's like you know we're talking about the replacements of Who's Do, and by that point they're not sounding like right. stink or you know no, it, like, no. it's a it, but like so I kind of I would say this is punk to me I know you're yeah. like, no punk intent is what you told me but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean we did you know what we did do we did a, a really pretty good cover I wish I had a recording of it of um of uh, the first song on Squirrel Bait, Skag Heaven. Oh, really? Uh, Kid Dynamite. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, we were we were dabbling. Yeah. And the other band that um, was was around that uh, era that was um, influential or popular. Prince. Oh, well, yeah, that. <laughs> uh, Naked Reagan. Naked oh, yeah, Reagan. absolutely. Yeah. Naked Reagan was coming up to Chicago, from Chicago all the time. I mean, they might play Minneapolis, I think, three times a year. And that was a band we all loved. It's funny because Patty from D4 on Twitter wrote, Naked Ray Gun is, ma- is to me what the Misfits and the Replacements are to you. And they're uh, like one of those bands that I think in the Midwest had, like especially yeah, Chicago, yeah. like so much power for people. But yeah. another band that like, unless you're out of that, if you didn't get to see them live, I don't know if they had the same. Yeah, impact. they didn't. They, and and I and I suspect that they maybe stuck around a little, like mm-hmm. a little too. You know, sometimes you don't do yourself a favor by sticking around. Yeah. Um, sometimes oh. you do. I know. <laughs> sometimes oh you do. Sometimes you don't. But like you know, I think their last record was like Raygun, Naked Raygun. Yeah. Like that one wasn't that great. No. Um, but but I mean the throb throb. And all rise were were killer, mm-hmm. and uh, I would those were big, and they had the sing along thing. Mm-hmm. The thing about like you know, and then the, the the other thing about that era was blind approach started to get it felt bigger, and there was you know there was also like I mean in the late eighties there was the skinhead thing was kind of big, and I, I you know I don't know that those guys were they were I guess kind of skinheads, but. You know, they've um, got a really strong anti-fascist kind of thing on yeah. the seven inches where they're like, yeah. like we support these skinheads, not these. Skinheads. Yeah, it, there was a lot of that, yeah. and <laughs> that dominated a lot of discussion <laughs> in general. There was good skinheads and bad skinheads, yeah. but like, I don't know, like the bad skinheads were kind of they're out there apparently. Yeah, but you know, like I, 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 they didn't really rear their heads that often. Yeah, okay. But it was, but that said. There was violence. There mm-hmm. was, and and the, and I think back, and I, I, I think I was mildly excited by it. If mm-hmm. if you know, like there was a sense of danger that I didn't hate, even yeah. if I was if I was being honest with myself. Well, I, I think what you mentioned about Blind Approach, like why is it so appealing? It's because here's a band that's like not being goofy and punk, and not being like we're weirdos, let's celebrate it, but being like we're different, and if you have a problem with it, fuck you, we're gonna fight you. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they came in too, like they're, they're like when the first time I saw them, they, they had SPHC St. Paul Hardcore, yeah. and they're so they're kind of saying we're from St. Paul, we're all the way from over there, we're not from here. Like you, you got a problem, it's gonna be a you know like it's on, yeah, it's on, and and it was like wow, and but I. I was kind of into that, and then there, you know, there was a um, there was a, a group of skinheads you can uh, call the Minneapolis Baldies, which uh, who are the non-racist skinheads. They have a Facebook page you can look up. Uh, of old photos, yeah, and stuff? yeah, oh, yeah. It's really good. It's really good. Uh, and those guys were like kind of like a 
a lot of them would be at blind approach shows and that was you know i don't know if the blind approach was technically in the baldies or not i can't remember okay. i don't know i think but, they thank them on the seven yeah, yeah i think i mean there was a big presence you know what i mean <laughs> yeah so it was it was you know there and i was it got not so much at the entry but there was one show in particular that i went to at a place called tarantula gardens okay. that was like a illegal space you know <laughs> yeah. and that ended up in like a massive violent bloodshed scene. What bands were playing that one? Just Blind Approach and a. Mm, there was a band called I, 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 I think it was the. I might be off, but it's like, it may have been this band Demand. Okay. But I think, it, or it could have been what the band became. What that band became was Downside, which has a, a Seven Chan Nemesis, I think. Oh yeah, uh, I think I can picture that almost now. Yeah, it was like a black cover. Yeah. Um, but it's so weird that like that's the stuff that's coming out of that city is so different. How did the AMREP scene fit into the punk hardcore scene? Or not? Well, I mean, that's funny because what happened in when I when I went so then I went to Boston. I went to school in Boston, and I I, was, <laughs> I will say that I went to a show there. Um, my first show was was Underdog and Quicksand, and I, I'd seen Underdog in Minneapolis the night the time before on the Vanishing Point. Yeah. I loved it. I love Chuck Trees on guitar. But they showed up and they did um, a three-piece, which was the Richie playing guitar, and it just wasn't that good. But Quicksand was amazing, but Eye for an Eye played that show, too. Um, no, 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 sorry. I think Eye for an Eye played, but also Wrecking Crew played. Okay, yeah. And uh, Wrecking Crew, when they started playing their set, it was, and I'd been, it was like the September, I'd just moved to Boston, and the pit the, was so violent, I thought it was a fight. <laughs> and it was so much heavier than the Minneapolis scene. That, like, it scared me. I kind of, like, jumped behind the bar a little bit. Like, I thought, like, you know, and uh, and it was, and that just seemed, like, Boston seemed one level up. But mm-hmm. I would go see Slapshot and The Wrecking Crew, and Eye for an Eye was really good. But <clears throat> I started to get out of it a little bit, and and I didn't really know, again, I didn't, in hard, I didn't have as many hardcore friends in Boston. Um that's also a transition point for Boston too. Yeah, you know, it's like when Slapshot's kind of like yeah, when exactly, exactly. So, yeah, um, but then I started. Yeah, Amrap started coming up in Minneapolis, and these seven inches started coming out. And people, you know, seemed to really like them. Really, on a collector's kind of thing. Were you aware of Halo Flies when you were around there and stuff? Were they like a local band that people talked about, or was it yeah? Like- well, people were talking about the seven inches, and uh, I don't think I ever saw them live. But Hazelmeyer was kind of a larger than. Well, they've been. Hazelmeyer had been in Otto's Chemical Lounge, which mm-hmm. is another band that was like right kind of there during my time. But some of these bands are playing more like not all ages shows. Um, I mean, Otto's, Otto's played the Big Dead Kennedy show that happened like right before I started going to shows. Okay. Um, Otto's, uh, what was it? Otto's, who? Dead Kennedy's Otto's and. Maybe Husker Du. Um, what, Otto's on after Husker Du? No, 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 Otto's oh, first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but Otto's, you know, was like this bluesy punk thing. And, and uh, Hazelmeyer had been in that. They had this really crazy guitar player called Paul Osby, who was fascinating to me. He was uh, went on to be in a band called Blue Hippos. But he was kind of, he kind of became this Hendrixy guy. But he was, I think albino. He was a very interesting looking guy. Mm-hmm. And um, so I don't know what happened to him. I don't think it's, it might be tragic. Yeah. Um, but his was like around and I, I he had a rep I didn't know him uh, but you know he was putting out those records and cows were coming up and like that was a band and you know yeah. right around then that's probably right when I started to get a, like a fake ID and started to go see bands and bars and 
um, that that thing was happening. But um, did you, that, th- th- those things never really intersected, though, right? Like it wouldn't be like you have a cow's libido boy show. No, 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 no. I mean, the, and the, the AMREP was very much a over twenty one crowd, yeah, yeah. and I think they probably hated like MRR. You know, I'm, <laughs> yeah, like you know, like like it was more like I don't know. AMREP, AMREP looking back is. It was very automotive, you know what I mean? Like, like there's like a lot of like things, songs about cars, gear jammer yeah. band, and stuff yeah, like. gears and yeah. gears and you know, yeah, machines and well, they almost like directly foretell the Frank Kozik Man's Ruin kind of era yeah. of hot rod call and like helicopters and all these bands being really into yeah, that yeah, stuff. that they they were and I think they were into that and Hazelmeyer was a very uh, is a very yeah, I know him a little. He's very smart and very into art. So, like, I think a lot of that was like creating artifacts. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like, like, and uh, uh, the you know the music was one part of that. But I also think the artwork of all these seven inches was uh, very, very important to him. Oh yeah, and, well, he does uh, those limited editions now with fifty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not a mute record anymore. That's just an art piece. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, yeah. I mean, it's it's it. You know, the the record at that point is like you know you, you're saying like I don't really care if anyone hears this song. <laughs> I was gonna buy a. I was at a Halo Flies show and it was amazing. And then I wanted to buy one of the records, but it was like four hundred dollars. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm hoping it up. They had that one record that I really loved. It was, um, it's like got a mod cover. Like it's a mod. Mod hate fuck explosion. Yeah, mod, something like that. A groovy mod hate fuck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought that Tired and Cold, that song was amazing. Like, I think that's one of the best songs to ever come out of Minneapolis. Really? I think so. Tired and Cold, that song. Oh my God. I have to go back and listen to it. I I think they're like Halo Flies and Rep in general. Like the singles, like there's just so many bands there that let you just get this little snapshot. You're like, right. What were these people like? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of them were pretty, like, nor not nor you know normal i guess um or like normal to me like midwestern yeah. <laughs> dude midwestern dudes you know yeah. uh guys that liked uh yeah and and you know but it was definitely a a, a bar thing mm-hmm. uh like drinking beer and like you know it was not i don't think there was much talk about the scene or uh, or like anti-fascism <laughs> or anything you know no, <laughs> you know i think it was pretty much just like working your job and playing so who's band. vegan yeah, no one's vegan. I don't know. I don't. I wonder if anyone in Amrep was ever vegan. I think Hazelmeyer would be against that, maybe. Or maybe he's like low key secret vegan and just doesn't want anyone to know. No, there's no. No, I know for a fact he's not. That. Yeah. Um, no, I mean he's he's a buddy. He, there was, uh, um, you know, I'd go drinking with him, and it was always like, you know, he he's the kind of guy who pushes you to drink more, and you end up sick. <laughs> uh, but very very smart and very and very cool to talk to. It's funny because like you know I I. I for something else, I talked to Steve Albini one time, and he was going on about Chicago and how mm. Chicago has like the most incredible punk scene ever and the most range of these bands and way better than LA. To me, Minnesota, like Minneapolis specifically, St. Paul, Minneapolis, it's like the weird bands that come out of there in the diverse range of Sonics. Yeah. And everyone kind of fit together weirdly in like a. You know, I think the thing about it, that place, and, uh, you know, and, and, I'll, and I think you have to include, I mean, we're talking about my younger years, but in later in my 20s, I was around for a whole lot of Dylan Trafford, mm-hmm. and that was the greatest. That is like one of the, I mean, I, one of the best bands ever. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm just in awe. Midwestern songs is probably. It has to be in my top ten ever, you know. Yeah. Um, and I was there. I mean, Lifter Puller played the record release for that. So uh, it was 
I think the thing about Minneapolis and or living in a smaller city, um, you know, because I live in New York now, I have for 17 years, you feel like sometimes you're living in the shadow of a city. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I'm not invited to the best party in New York ever. <laughs> um, but in Minneapolis, I might be. And yeah. I might be four times a week, you know? So you're really, like, interfacing with the city, you know? <laughs> and it's like, you know, you hang around long enough, it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, I saw a lot of, you know, yeah, D4. Um, yeah. You can really do do that. And so I feel like Minneapolis, and it's nurturing. I mean, I feel like, you know, and Dillinger 4 could probably get, when I was in 1999, I'm guessing 700 people come to see them. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know what, what that would have drawn in Chicago or somewhere else. Um, there's very nurturing there. Because it was, ge- especially before the internet, it was geographically very isolated. Mm-hmm. Seven hours from Chicago, you mm-hmm. know. No, and, and it's also, it's like, we didn't even bring up Felix von Havoc and the propane <laughs> existence scene and, like, that whole kind of, like... That whole thing was happening, too. I mean, that was, like, you know, the uh, that was all, all, all there, and, uh, you know, it was not something I knew. It wasn't my personal taste, but, you know, because it was just there, mm-hmm. I saw, like, misery... Many many times. Probably saw Ass Rash. A yeah, times. I, oh, I knew Bucky from Ass Rash yeah. was my friend. Uh, uh, I saw Destroy a lot. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, all those bands would come and they would play. You know, I mean, you know, and, and there was a limited amount. Of, you know, you like I think when Youth of Today came in '88, like it was like Youth of Today with Misery and Blind Approach. Really, so, that's yeah. a show. Yeah, and that's like the best Youth of Today bill I've ever heard. I know of. it was it was amazing. I mean, it was like I, I couldn't believe it was it was happening. You know, and, that's awesome. And. Uh, and like and and that was I think like there was a there was this there was this really good thing that I don't think they do anymore but it was Sunday night dance party was all ages in the main room at First mm-hmm. Ave you played First Ave or no, no? we okay. only played uh, the the Triple Rock okay well the First Ave is the big room and then the small room is the Seventh Street entry and they would do Sunday night dance party uh, all ages uh, in the main room and then generally punkier kind of shows in the entry all ages also on, okay. on, and that was at nighttime. So it pretty much was you had to go on Sunday night, and and I I just remember like um, I, the one the one song I just always think of which uh, is not punk, but I um, remember self destruction was the um, it was like the boogie down production. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Self destruction. You're heading for self destruction. I remember yeah. that they'd always play that, <laughs> and I just remember like and that was like one even like the Baldies guys would go out in the dance floor like you know that was that was like sufficiently hard enough that. I think hardcore kids liked it too, you know. <laughs> but I mean, I you know, and Fugazi played um, probably in '89 at one of those. And uh, so, would people, would, nor- would like normal people go to the dance thing? Just yeah, a lot of normies, a lot of normies. Would they ever there. spill it into the show? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you had to pay extra to go okay. into the hardcore show. So, like, the, the, there was a lot of uh, you know light goths, yeah. you know, nine <laughs> like goths, yeah. nine inch nails, uh, cure kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, so there was a lot of just going because it was Sunday night, you mm-hmm. know, and 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 that's that was cool. I mean, that was a, in a true sense a scene. Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to talk also about how you guys put out the seven because you guys self released the seven. Uh huh. Right? Yeah, I put it out. You put it out. Yeah, I just I just like you know I actually think like my so oh, there's this other so after Chris Hoskins stopped telling me stop stop teaching guitar lessons because. Replacements Let It Be got big, and he went to go deal with that. Like, he got a job with Twin Tone. Okay. And, and he was like, I can't really teach anymore. So, But he's like, but you should get this guy, Mark Freeman. Mark Freeman was in a band, NNB, uh, 
who has a very collectible seven inch called Slack, which okay. is a great song. It sounds like Sonic Youth. N N and B. No N N B. Three letters. N oh. like Nancy Nancy. Okay, I gotta right. find the seven inch. That was on my list. Oh yeah, it's a classic. Uh, it, you should hear the song. You can hear the song online, but it's yeah. very ahead of its time. And uh, he was a really cool guy and a very forward thinking guy. And he was like, "You guys gotta put out a seven inch. You got seven inches are cool, you know." And he, he kind of walked me through it, like how oh, to do cool. it. So uh, and uh, you know, I mean, like we didn't, you know. Yeah, so so I didn't really know what to do. I mean, I got them, and uh, I they arrived, and I was like, wow, like I think there's <laughs> 500 of them. There's probably I still probably have a lot of them, you know. Uh, uh, but they they call yeah, and then I, I like, but I mean, I I got Caroline to take some of yeah. them. Um, I well, just, it got it got to me. Yeah, it got to you. <laughs> um, I mean, I remember like going to uh, in, like moving to Boston to go to school and see him in the racks out there. Yeah. Caroline took probably a hundred of them, and uh, I, I know I'd sent some to Australia. Um, <laughs> but people, I've, I've, you're, you're not the first person who's pulled it out. No, on it, it's listed on your discog, so yeah, it's not it, that obscure. Yeah, I mean it's it's out there, but. Uh, I don't know. I think it's like, you sell it short because, you know, obviously you're such a blind approach crew member by that point, but I think it's a great single. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 it's, uh, it's spirited, but it's more of like a garage punk kind of mm-hmm. thing or a garage, you know, fast. Um, uh, and it was it was fun. Um, I think it's just, for me, I was like only the guitar player, so uh, I don't feel <laughs> as connected to it, you know, as, as after being in a band two bands as the singer but you also uh, put up you're also the Ian Mackay of this project too <laughs> putting true. out the 7 inch that's you know? true this is your teen idols yeah I guess that's true <laughs> I mean I, I didn't even think to name it a label Like I, I know there's no ju- label on it it's just it's just a 7 inch yeah it's just a 7 inch yeah I mean like it, it would have been a lot cooler but like I think the hardest challenge for me on that one was uh, like graphics I didn't know how to do graphics so I just brought it to a print shop and said I want it to say no pun intended over this photo and they said is this look okay <laughs> and I said sure like I didn't, it didn't need to be more than that, uh, and I don't know what that was, but that was kind of by my house, and it was like obviously um, not going to, like it was falling down, and it's so I falling down. So I, I took a photo of this falling down structure that's uh, absolutely not there anymore. So you completely discorded it. Not only did you put this out, play guitar in it, but you even took the cover photo. I took the cover photo. Yeah, this is this a project you should consider a little bit of ownership over. Yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess I was just young, and I'm kind of like, oh. Now, I mean, I think it also like at that point my taste. I mean, here's the thing: like I had my that seven inch, you know, and uh, meanwhile, Blind Approach is putting out New Age, and I'm like, now that's a seven inch, you know. I was like, oh, I got this thing too. Did, did you play in any other bands during this period? Like, did you try and start a hardcore band or like no, something more like? No, I didn't. I didn't. I don't know. Like, I, I I don't know why I didn't, but I just didn't. And then when I went to school, college, I I never had a band until my. Last semester, my senior year, where I had a band called Sweetest Day, and oh, we played about ten shows. Did you guys record? Uh, yeah, we had, we had some demos. Oh, really? Yeah, I've and it's, that's, it's kind of like more like on like a dinosaur junior kind of thing. It was a three piece. I gotta hear these demos. Yeah, yeah. Craig. So, uh, well, let's see if I can dig them up. I would love to hear them. I'm okay. going to Boston. There might be someone there that I can get them from. I don't know if I have a copy as as, as we speak. Well, you ended with a Dropkick Murphys reference because I'm afraid this is the point you said we have to run for. Yeah, I, I think I we... can talk to you for another three hours. Can you come back for a part two? <laughs> let's do a part two. Oh, buddy, this is amazing. Thank you, Craig. Thank you. Finally, we got to start this thing. <laughs> Thank you, Craig, for coming on the show. And as you can hear there, we barely made a dent. So Craig will be back for a part two down the road. But sooner 
rather than later because, you know, there's a lot more to talk about and I I got a lot more stuff that we got to get into. We didn't even get into, you know, we got an AMRAP, but there's, there's, there's so much more. There's so much more. So Craig will be back sooner rather than later, as I said. Speaking of sooner rather than later, next week coming on this show, I'm going to be putting this one up earlier next week because I want you all to be made aware of it. It's someone who's a, uh, a legend in these parts. Al Nolan of the band Trigger Happy, the almighty Trigger Happy, and also of Deep End and also of uh, Kingpin. And, and we get into a, a lot of stuff next week on the show. But above all that right now, what you need to know about is that he is also going to be starring in Hardcore Logo Live. And uh, it's I'm, I couldn't be happier for him. It's it's awesome. It's gonna be coming up at the Dancecape. I'll have all the details next week on the show. It's it's a fun one. It's definitely an amazing episode. If you are from Toronto or th- Southern Ontario, or actually the Trigger Happy worldwide, they had fans worldwide, obviously as well. But it's a great one if you if you want some history of Toronto punk and Toronto kind of the East End hardcore and all that kind of stuff metal this is one of those ones that my god we will touch on a lot of different stuff in a very short period of al's life we don't get very far as you know on this show in the first episode so that is next week on the show thank you everyone for listening remember you can go out there and make your own culture because anyone can do this shit and uh, I will I will see you all next week. Uh, please, if you are on the West Coast and you uh, you want to come hang out, find me at those shows. I'm the guy looking for the dabs, and I will be uh, down to chill. Anyway, thank you, everyone, for uh, listening, and I will see you next week.